All right, so we are in Acts. We're in Acts chapter 18. Uh, For those who are new, you've missed 17 chapters because that's how math works. Um, But I'm actually really excited uh, about today. I'm always excited to be able to share God's Word. But this one, we're introduced to, I think, probably my favorite characters in the entire Bible. So you're in for for a real treat here. Acts chapter 18, we're only going to read three verses today because I really want to zoom in on these folks. Acts chapter 18, 1, 2, and 3. After these things, he left Athens. So he is Paul. He left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, having recently come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. He came to them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they were working, for by trade they were tent makers. Uh, so this, this passage, I mean, I've always loved this, these characters. They show up in a, in a number of different places, Aquila and Priscilla. This is where we're introduced to them. And I've never really done an in-depth study of, of Priscilla and Aquila, um, so I was very excited to be able to study this um, this week. They don't, we don't get a whole lot of detail uh, about their lives, but whenever we do, it's very clear that this is, this is a very beloved, kind of a dynamic duo in the early church, a real, a real gift that was given to the early church in its formation and, and as it was built up. And this passage is, is where it starts. And it's a, it really is a very compelling and convicting message for those of us who are, who are normal Christians. We're just, we're going to work jobs, live life, and serve the Lord. So for those of us who maybe aren't going to go into full-time ministry, we're not going to get paid to read the Bible, we're just going to be a Christian, whatever a normal Christian is, this is, these are our models. If you're going to have a family, just live in a house, go to church, Whatever it means to be a normal, everyday Christian, this is the model. This is the example that's given to us. And what I want us to see this morning, what I want us to walk away with, is that we need to to lean heavily with everything we've got into lay ministry. Lay really just means normal, everyday, the common man. With everything we've got, we're leaning heavily into lay ministry. So let's just walk through these few verses. We'll also get the context from other places where Priscilla and Aquila show up. But first we see after these things, he, that's Paul, left Athens and went to Corinth. And really all we get in this first little tidbit is the location, and that's Corinth. And if you know anything about the city of Corinth, from a lot of the time that we spent up in big church upstairs, this, uh, this place was kind of messed up. This was a tough location very uh, carnal, very worldly. It's a center for a lot of commerce and um, economy in the, uh, the ancient world. So it's kind of a, a little bit of a out of the frying pan of Athens where Paul was recently kicked out and into the fire of, of Corinth. It's going to be a pretty difficult place for Paul here. Uh, however, it was at this place that Paul would find uh, this, this Aquila who will become a lifelong friend along with his wife, uh, Priscilla. So first we have the friendship 
we're going we're gonna to go through four different uh, points, nothing tremendous, but we're, we're just going to kind of walk through this story of Priscilla and Aquila. And first we have the friendship of Aquila and Priscilla. Verse 2, he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he came to them. So both Paul and Aquila are newcomers to Corinth, and the circumstances for Aquila arriving here are actually kind of heartbreaking. If you're reading between the lines, you can read the hardship that they've been through. They were Jews, actually probably likely already believers from the Roman church, but because they're Jews, they've, uh, they've been kicked out, right? So uh, Claudius commands, if you're a Jew, you get out of here. You are not allowed any longer to be uh, in Rome, in Italy, so get out. Didn't seem like they had any intention or any plan of moving out, but because of the command that if you're a Jew, you can't live here anymore, they've, uh, they've had to skedaddle out of there. And that's, that's pretty rough. Not just to get kicked out because you don't have, you know, the economic opportunity isn't there, so, you know, your dad has to get a new job somewhere else. Like, this is because of your ethnicity, because of who you are as a person, you can't live here anymore. That's pretty tough. Um, so they leave. They end up in Corinth. It doesn't say why they ended up in Corinth. We know that they are uh, tent makers, um, which, unlike today, which, you know, if you know a tent maker, they're obviously living in massive amounts of wealth. No, it's probably about the same. You don't make a ton of money as a tent maker. It's kind of you just make tents. Um, so it could have been that they arrived in Corinth just because it's like, hey, that's a city where there's lots of people and maybe lots of people. There's a chance at least some of them will need some tents. So let's go to Corinth because maybe we'll be able to not die and find some food if we make our tents where there's lots of people that we can sell them. So anyway, regardless, they, they end up uh, in Corinth, and Paul finds them. And this phrase, he came to them, it's an interesting one because it's conveying that, that Paul's approaching them with a request, that he's really, hey, uh, hello, my name is Paul. I have noticed that you've been running your business very ethically. I'm Paul. I also make tents. And he starts up a relationship uh, with them and finds out that they're believers. And boy, when he, when he latches onto that, or maybe, maybe they become believers, it doesn't, doesn't give us that information. But the, the point is in this phrase, he came to them, is that I want you to partner with me. I have a request. I've, I've got a, a, a question for you, and that's, will you, will you partner with me? Will you not mope and just survive, but would you serve? Would you join me? Would you help me? Would you build the church? And so God in His sovereignty, He's, He's moved you away from your hometown. It's been difficult. You were, you were kicked out over an ethnic issue. That's really difficult, but don't be upset by that. God's in control of all these things. So Paul encouraging them to join with Him in the building up of the church. It's a beautiful phrase, but it's also a little bit terrifying because most of us aren't going to be Paul. We're not going to be full-time ministers of the gospel. And so we know that. So we read the Bible. We find these heroes of the faith, and we're like, this is awesome. Glad that's not me. I can just be normal. I can just live my life and not do anything, you know, too wicked. Um, but I don't have to worry about being a hero. I can just be, you know, a Christian. But we, we come across passages like this, and it becomes very clear that we've got a lot more to do than just being a normal Christian who doesn't have any tasks assigned to us or work for us to do or sacrifices for us to make. 
We absolutely do. Yeah, sure, you're not going to be Paul, or as we'll see, Apollos, but you might be called, at the very least, to be a Priscilla or an Aquila, a lay Christian who's dedicated, motivated, determined to serve the church. The call, it's, it's very obvious, and it's very compelling, and really, again, with Paul coming alongside them and encouraging them to come along with him, it's just dripping with eternal opportunity. The idea being that there's, there's eternal rewards for lay Christians. It's not just the superheroes that have important work to do for the kingdom. It's normal people, normal Christians. In fact, the church is really built up and grown by lay leaders and ministers and evangelists, folks that stick it out in tough places, that don't just keep going to the next town or doing the next thing, but they stay in difficult places, making challenging, difficult decisions for the advancement and support of the church. For the Christian, we all have a singular occupation of serving Christ. For all the other things we do, the places we might find ourselves, we as lay Christians, normal Christians, we serve Christ building the church. That's what we orient around. All other activities serving to serve the single task of building the church. Let's move on. Verse 3. This is the work. So that was the, the friendship of Aquila and Priscilla, and this is the work of Aquila and Priscilla. And because he was of the same task, verse 3, because he was of the same task, I'm sorry, trade, he stayed with them, and they were working, for by trade, they were tent makers. And it really, I mean, it couldn't be any more clear or convicting. Do your work. You've got jobs to do, things you need to be about. Have your profession. Pursue excellence. But don't get distracted. You and I are Christians, and our life's calling is higher than just paying the bills to, to buy a few more pizza bagels to put down our gullet, or Porsches to put in our garage. We're the church. We're the pillar and support of the one and only Word of God. We're the presence, the, the temple of the Almighty in the world while He tarries to return in judgment. We, hear me, we're humanity's last and only hope to encounter the cross of forgiveness in Christ. We're it. This is, this is why evangelism and building the church, sharing the gospel, is so critically important. This isn't just a slice of time in history that planting churches, being evangelistic, sharing the gospel was important. It continues to be important. It's not just important, it's the only primary task that we have of all the other things we may be involved in. This is what we do. And I love my work. I'm a software engineer for a financial innovation company. It's fun. And it's actually pretty important for marginalized people all around the world. But it's not what God is doing in the world. It pays the bills and it provides opportunities to evangelize with coworkers. But every day I'm faced with the choice if I'm going to live for my career or if I'm going to live for the church. I have a lot of opportunities to continue to advance in my career and get a bigger, bigger paycheck. But I have to make a decision every single day what I'm really living for. I want to do my work excellently. I want to do my work as unto the Lord, but I don't ever want to get distracted thinking that this, that my job is what God is doing in the world. It's not. God is building the church. 
And friends, it's not, it's not simple. Living is expensive. Opportunities to advance, they don't come easily, but we only get one shot for doing what really matters, and then we die. And we're Christians, and Christ and His church, they matter so much more. And so in the same way that Paul is coming to Aquila and Priscilla, I really am coming to you, asking you to join me, saying no to the trinkets of time, this, this time that we're alive, where you're going to be tempted every day to live just for this small slice of time, to say no to that, and say yes to the treasures of eternity, these things that last forever. Plan to work, plan to work hard, but plan to work harder at ministry. You'll have to give up so much temporal, time-oriented pleasure. You're going to need to die to yourself again and again, day after day. You're going to need to get up early. You're going to have to watch a lot less TV. You're going to have to put your phone away so you can study the Bible, which isn't as entertaining. But if you're going to serve well, you need to know it. But I want you to know, like, you need to trust me. You need to trust the Lord and His Word, that the the pleasure, the joy of, of serving the Lord is so much greater than any temporal pleasure. It's tangible. It's real. It's Holy Spirit empowered. The work of ministry is worth it. Colossians 3, 23 through 24, whatever you do, Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. So I want you to remember who really writes the checks at your place of work. It's God who's king over all the money and all the promotions. So why would you strive so hard for what's already yours? God will hold nothing back that you need to serve Him. We cannot expect God to bless disobedience, but if we are being faithful, if we're striving to do what is right and orient these things appropriately, you will lack nothing of what you need to serve Him. I often say that God's supply will meet His demand. The things that He asks of you, He will give you the resources to accomplish. You will have an abundance to do what God asks you to do. It doesn't mean it won't be difficult. It doesn't mean it won't be hard, but you will have what you need to reap eternal rewards. That's what God wants for us. Ephesians 4, 28, I love this passage. Ephesians 4, 28, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. We do not work for ourselves, we work expressly for the benefit of others. The reason that we're working is not for ourselves. We're not trying to build up a kingdom or generate lots of wealth or hedge against inflation in the future, uncertainties. We serve an almighty, eternal, sovereign, in control God. We serve to bless others. We serve with the express purpose of having something to give to those who are in need, both material but also with our time. God's abundant provision, His his supply that will meet His demand, it is not often mathematically or materially miraculous where we're just like, oh, look, 
I opened up the mailbox and there's a million bucks sitting in there. That's not often what happens. If it is, give me your mailbox. No, it's, it's met practically through the hands and feet of those who give sacrificially, intentionally, and consistently. God's supply is, is you working hard every day intentionally so that when you get your paycheck, you can give it away. When you have extra time, you can spend it for others, providing for their needs. I work hard at my job, making fat stacks of cash so that the Ramu Valley Academy in Papua New Guinea can keep its doors open, so that the church here has air conditioning and coffee, so that XL Ministries can print more leadership materials. I work to spend as a conduit of ministry funding. I long to see believers strengthened and unbelievers evangelized. I pray for it. I prepare for it. And so should you. You need to think about it that way. You need to be intentional with your time. You're going to have every week, as you grow up, hopefully more work, less play, so that you can fund things. You can, you can find a need and supply it. You can meet needs where they're at. This is this idea of Ephesians 4.28. Work hard with your own hands what is good so that you'll have something to share with one who has need. Galatians 6, 7 through 10, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, this will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. Will the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Are you intimidated a little bit? It seems like a lot of work, and you should be, because the tendency at all times will be to grow weary. There's a life of labor in front of us. We need to fortify ourselves against laziness. We need to keep the coming harvest in view. We need to believe in it. We need to sacrifice for it. Understanding that life doesn't last forever. You probably hear the phrase a lot, you can sleep when you're dead. But don't, don't you dare go to the sleep of death until you have done the good work of building up the household of the faith. Do not squander away an eternity of greater joy and pleasure for a habit of wasting time and pleasing your fruitless flesh will be so easy. That's why this verse is here. Do not grow weary in doing good. Every day you're going to want to grow weary in doing good. Don't. Don't do it. Find friends and be friends like Aquila, Priscilla, and Paul who bear one another's discouragement and reorient one another's attention and efforts towards the truth and those activities which mean the most. Next, we're going to move a couple of uh, verses down, actually. Priscilla and Aquila are a big part of this chapter 18. We have to skip ahead a little bit to see where they show up next, but I'm going to do it. I don't know who's going to teach on um, 18 through 19, but I'm going to steal it. So Acts chapter 18, 18 and 19, Paul, having remained many days longer in Corinth, 
took leave of the brethren and put out to sea for Syria. And with him were Priscilla and Aquila. In uh, Kensria, he had his hair cut for he was keeping a vow. Maybe that's what whoever teaches that one can focus on. Uh, but then, verse 19, they came to Ephesus and he left them there. So Paul goes, he leaves Corinth, he takes Priscilla and Aquila with him, and then he leaves them, he shows up in Ephesus and drops them off and leaves them. He, uh, he, he's taken his, his new favorite couple and he drops them off in uh, Ephesus. If you want a passage on church planting, it's right here. Paul had built up Priscilla and Aquila while he was in Corinth and then plants them as part of the Ephesian church. I mean, this is pretty astounding. He gets... These, uh, this couple, they get kicked out from Italy, kind of over some strange uh, ethnic racist issues. They show up in Corinth. Ah, finally, we've got a new, new home, got a church getting started. We've got Paul. This is fantastic. And then they get uprooted again. But hey, at least we got Paul still. We're going along with Paul. And then he drops them off in Ephesus and leaves them. And he continues on and he leaves them there to build up the church. And we're going to see him again in a moment to see what their attitude is like. But again, this, this couple is not focused on being planted in a particular area or just making ends meet, getting by. These are lay leaders who are devoted to the building up of the church. It sounds terribly inconvenient. And I'm sure it was to just keep hopping around and moving along. And it was difficult, but what strikes me is their ability to pull everything around them into service. From the, the suffering of having to, to move away from, from Rome to the needle and thread of making tents, even to just the roads in between the, the cities. They're, they're pulling all of these things together. These will be the things that will serve us as we serve Christ to build His church. They see all of these things as resources that they will employ in their service of serving the church. And I haven't, I haven't really spoken on it yet, but last week I think anyone who is upstairs probably heard that Deb and I have together decided that we're actually going to join our own church's plant up in North Knoxville. So it's still a little bit up in the air exactly when that church plant is happening. They're planning for January of next year, so we've still got some time. We don't have to start crying yet. I don't think anybody's crying. Come on. Uh, but it's passages, it's examples like these that are, that are compelling Deb and I to do this, to kind of move out into the unknown of such an endeavor. I mean, there's so many questions. Where are we going to live? Who's going to teach our kids? What friends are we going to have? And honestly, I think the hardest one is how are we going to endure the heartache of missing this church? We love this church. But God's supply will meet His demand. We have faith. We're Christians. We believe in the eternal reward of obedience, of partnering with God and His people in doing the one thing that God loves doing the most. Building the church. Why would I be afraid? Why would I be fearful of doing the thing that God loves doing the most? We cannot lose. Our kids can't lose. 
No one wants good for my family and myself like God does. And so we trust Him and we move forward. And I'm excited. I, I can't wait to see what God will do in, in our Ephesians, our Ephesus of North Knoxville. And the reason I say this is because I, I am hopeful and I am praying that by God's grace, some of you will, will show up there along with us. Some of you will, some of you won't. The point isn't that it's good to go and bad to stay. Don't hear that. The importance is, are you serving? Are you intending to serve? You need to plan every day to do good to all people, but especially to the church. So whether you stay or whether you go, are you motivated? Are you encouraged? Are you determined to do good? You need to. You must. It's the most important thing. It's the only thing that God is doing, building up the church. Let's jump down, still in Acts 18. I'm going to steal another couple verses, 24 through 28. Let's see how Priscilla and Aquila, how it panned out for them in Ephesians after Paul had left. Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the Scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. When he wanted to go across to Acacia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So the focus of the passage, obviously, on Apollos, this eloquent, powerful speaker, but he was, he was missing something. His, his gospel presentation had stopped at the baptism of John. It hadn't gone all the way through the life of Christ. And that wasn't enough. That wasn't sufficient. But what is he going to do? Who's going to teach him? Who's going to build him up and train him further? Priscilla and Aquila. They hear him and they're like, ooh, there's someone who has some potential. And so they take him aside and they, they train him, they teach him, they build him up. This is what Priscilla and Aquila do. And it's because they had been left in Ephesus. It's because Paul had moved them there with the intention of, you stay here, you build the church. You stay here and you train people. You stay here and you do the hard work of ministry. They had built deep abiding roots which extended into ministry. They were background characters to more dynamic heroes like Paul and Apollos, and yet their dramatic maturity really does. It casts this, I mean, you, you can hear, if you read again, more, more passages, we'll hit one. These, these folks, this couple, this family had this reverb of maturity and building up and thankfulness through the whole early church. Very clearly stated here in Romans 16, 3 through 5. Romans 16, 3 through 5. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risked their own necks. To whom not only I, not to whom 
Not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Also, greet the church that is in their house. I mean, if you think I'm expounding a little bit too much earlier, this, they're risking their own necks, whether that's they actually, like, we're going to get killed or is more... These guys are tent makers, and tent making doesn't pay a whole lot, and they're going to leave their clientele, they're going to be moving... They need to be focused on planting the church. They need to be focused on building up the church. They are, they're going to be risking their own necks. They're going to do it in partnership with me. And now, all of the churches of the Gentiles, they ought to be thankful for this couple. They ought to be thankful for these folks. And there's a church that meets in their house. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful picture of a faithful, self-sacrificing family serving intentionally, even to the point of risking their lives for the building up of the church. No sacrifice was too great to withhold the good, any good, that they might offer to see their fellow believers built up. I want to be like that. Often I am not, but by God's grace, day by day, year by year, I will be more so, and my prayer is that you will as well, that you'll intend for that, that you'll plan for that, that you'll be encouraged by testimonies like this. Finally, I think it's important, given the audience, you need to marry an Aquila or a Priscilla. You'll notice that Priscilla and Aquila, they're always mentioned together. This is, this is rare. You don't see this other places. One of the reasons I love this, this couple so much is that however they were ministering, they were ministering so tightly together that they're never mentioned apart. They were such a tight team. And it's actually even likely, given that Priscilla is almost always mentioned before Aquila, that Priscilla was the more dominant public figure, women's ministry or Helping out in the church, just building it up and help making sure that uh, it's sustained. We're not given a lot of details, but regardless, this is a very close couple. Focused, dedicated towards ministry. And guys, if and as you move towards dating and marriage, you need to f- find and pursue a woman who's poised to become a Priscilla. And I say poised because, let's be honest... I mean, when I got married, I, I, I kind of had the example. My parents were phenomenal, but they'd been married for ages by the time I got married, and so I kind of expected my marriage to look like theirs, and it did not um, because I was immature, and Deb had a lot of growing to do as well, but she was poised. We were both poised to grow into a love for the church. So be smart. You've probably got lists that are outrageously ridiculous, and that's fine, but put it as a... Uh, Maybe in the future. We'll build towards this. This is what we'll become. But the most important thing is that there is this positioning. She could be as ugly as an ogre. So I want you to prepare your affections now to be attracted to a heart like the heart of Priscilla, someone who loves and serves the church. It's not that hard. You don't have to wonder what the future is going to be like. Is she serving in the church? Does she talk about it? Is she showing up? And gals, 
He could be as skinny as a rail and pale, pale as porcelain. But if he's striving to serve King Jesus, do not leave that man unread. You get one shot at making your life count, serving your Savior, and building up rewards for eternity. And I know you may not believe me, but everyone gets old, ugly, sick, and oozy. So don't make the terrible mistake of pledging yourself to someone who will pull you away from doing the good work of God. Train your affections now to be attracted to a heart like the heart of Aquila, someone who loves and serves the church. Some closing questions. Are you prepared? Are you excited and convinced of the value of doing the good work of God? Will you make all of life's sacrifices and sufferings your servant in the task of serving the church? Or, or too often do you see the, the sacrifices and difficulties and challenges of life as distracting? They're not distracting. Use them. God is sovereign. And if we really believed that, it doesn't mean it doesn't difficult to our flesh, but we can, we can grab a hold of those things and make them our servant in our task of serving the church. Next, are you willing to go and serve in a church plant or missions? Don't require that you stay in a certain place. Don't assume God's will for your life. Whether he moves you through circumstances like Priscilla and Aquila at first, when it was just the government that kicked him out, or it's someone like Paul encouraging you to partner with him. It may not be Gospel Hope, it may be some other church plant. There's never just one, there needs to be many. There's also missions where you go much further than just 30 minutes north. But are you willing, expecting God to call you to serve? Or are you willing to stay? Priscilla and Aquila doesn't really seem like they moved on much further than Ephesus. God had for them to move to that point. What they were focused on was serving the church wherever they were for as long as God had them there, whether that was a little while or their whole lives. Their intention was to serve and ours needs to be the same whether we go or stay. They were taking hold of every opportunity to serve God's church. And very practically, right now, what more will you do than you're doing right now? You want to be a little bit careful, I suppose, on just taking every single possible opportunity, but uh, I'm going to be honest, you guys are kids, and you have a lot of energy and a lot of time. And as you get older, you're going to have to make decisions on where am I going to spend my time. There's, just, there's loads and loads of opportunity going on missions trips, even just making friends with the intention of encouraging them towards the things of the Lord and pressing into their lives to care more about the gospel, to put off sin and put on righteousness. Being a good Christian friend is work. Will you serve in ministries like music and childcare, student leadership? There's so many opportunities for you to serve. What more will you do? The point is to say yes to something, to say yes again and again and again. Anytime 
that there's something less important that you can let go of and something more important that you can take hold of. Take inventory of your time. Take inventory of the things you're doing. Consider what is the most important and do that thing. And finally, will you commit to cultivating an attraction for a spouse that's oriented first and foremost around their love for Christ and His church before merely, only, or primarily just their physical attributes? I would like this group to kind of look back 10, 15, 5 years later and, and see a group of people of Priscilla's and Aquila's, that we don't just see one of you, we see you and your spouse together, Priscilla and Aquila, doing the lay ministry of the church, building it up. But it will not happen if you're not preparing for it to happen, if you're not looking for it, if you're not cultivating in your own heart an attraction towards someone who loves the church. So do that. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you so much for this group. I thank you so much for this example that even now, this church of the Gentiles is giving thanks to you for Priscilla and Aquila, for their faithful example. They did not get discouraged through the hardship and difficulty of their lives, but they poured into the church. They were convinced of the value and they took hold of every sacrifice and every inconvenience and every bit of suffering and they made it their slaves in the service of serving the church, of building it up. I pray that we would be challenged deeply by this, that we would build into our own lives the opportunities, the determination to serve like this, to think like this, to prioritize like this, that we would see life as opportunity, not just as survival, that eternity would mean more that the rewards of heaven would mean more, and that we would see this, this while we have opportunity, while we're still alive, we have the, the chance to do real good, the good of sharing the gospel, the good of building up the church, the good that you are doing in the world. I pray that we would be motivated towards that, that we would be convinced of that more so day by day. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.